They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Ali Bailey. Hi, JD Rainsford. I've got a deep voice. It's quite sexy. Because I'm <laughs> deeper not deeper than mine. <laughs> it's a bit deeper than yours. <laughs> I didn't I wasn't aware of, of what the protocol was, whether whether you came in with the bye bye bye, whether that was just a thing that David and I did. I didn't I didn't know whether you were above look, that or look, mate. I don't like singing, okay? I, I go into the music industry to be behind the camera. I don't like the singing, unless I've had 19 pints of lager and it's Mr. Brightside. Uh, so I'm like, mate, I just don't do the singing. Uh, I feel that you've been associated now with the podcast for so long. There are certain rituals that you have to go through that, we're, that, that David and I had to go through in the very early stages. How, at what point did you start listening to BBR? What episode? Well, picture this. I listened from the very start. <gasps> My ex-boyfriend, a certain Mr. Tom Dark, suggested I listen to the podcast um, as light relief when I was running. So I did. And I started from the beginning. I started from Toilet Gate, from when you were recording <laughs> a toilet. And it was <laughs> echoing around my brain. I was like, what the blimmin' heck is this about? You've been um, there from the start. I've been there since day one. Since... Hashtag since day one. So proud of my boys. Oh, Wow. So yeah. you know what we did in those early days? I can't remember. I've blocked it out. Well, remember, we didn't have a theme tune. We've been getting very nostalgic recently. But, oh, my God. We you basically, you Adam and Joe'd it, didn't you? You yeah. sort of Adam and Joe theme tuned it and made your own ones up. We just sang our own ones, didn't we, early on? Yeah. And yeah. I think, and then, and then we had a theme tune, which was a bit like a kind of like a weird breakbeaty type thing that we got. We got that cost like $10. And then I feel like that? you had like a metal one with a guitar. It was, um, it was like, a, it had like a guitar riff in it. It went, something like that. It felt like a really, it felt like a Poundland darkness. It was That's a Poundland like. darkness. It, it was horrible. We, we purchased, we, it, was a, it was the last one. And then remember, we went through that period where Pete, where, who was it? Who came up with um, theme tunes for it? They were, they were knocking together theme tunes with our with our sayings in it as well. Do you, re- do you remember that? I sort of do, yeah, but I don't remember who it was. I don't remember who it was. I have to go back and look at that. But what I'm fundamentally getting... And then, and then of course, Pato gave permission for us to... Can I ask a question, actually? Oh, yeah. Can I ask a question? You know the whole... The guy that does the intros, the David Hillard David guy? Hillard, yeah. Where the hell did you get that from? He's the um, Honest Trailers guy. Did you pay him? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, it's the Honest Trailers guy. It's the same hey, guy as Honest you, Trailers. I could have got you Greg James for a tenner, and you've got and got Honest Trailers guy. Well, he did cost a tenner. I mean, like, that, that's oh, all fair. he cost, yeah. Fair. Just go and get fair. him on Fiverr. Why did he pronounce David Hullard's name wrong? <laughs> More interestingly, why didn't we get it corrected? It would have cost us like... <laughs> but I was just like, well, do. Did you put him in a studio or did he just send it to you? I'm interested. No, I, just sent, I sent him a script, and he just, he just said it. And we're like, uh-huh. yeah, that'll do. What does he look like? I have no idea. I never spoke to him. 
Honestly, I just bought. I just it was like on people. It's like people per hour or, up, or Upwork or something like that, and it costs like ten ten dollars. This is amazing. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna start getting. Now I've got a cold. I'm gonna really hammer all of the voiceover work. I think. I think we could. Have, you know, we could have actually got lots of different people. I think there's a lot of people, especially voiceover artists, pretty much are on their knees. I imagine. I don't yeah. imagine it's a massive, massive. Industry. No, the thing with the thing with voiceover artists is it's going to go the same way that everything else has gone, which is you can just voiceover bot it, right? So you can just <laughs> go to a website and there'll be voiceover bot that sounds a little bit like red pepper or whoever you want it to be like once upon a time in america and it was just there was a there was a time yeah there was a time when the podcast was recorded in the toilet like there'd be that that you could just make on the internet it's like with pete reese's rap race videos right like all he has to do is go to audio network and get a free like epic soundscape that someone has spent ages making (laughs) but gets 10p a pop for every time it's paid so it's like that's amazing. That guy, that, but that guy's artistry has gone down the toilet thanks to the internet. Good old internet. Yeah, no, exactly. The, um, the one thing I think it would find, be very, very hard to find is someone to sound like David Hellard. Because he has, David has a very distinctive voice. I don't... Is David Hellard French? David Hellard. <laughs> David Hellard. David Hellard. Bonjour. Hello, oui. Oui, oui. Um, yeah, it would be very hard to find I, anyone that sounds I think, like. I think he has a very, very distinctive voice that you, you so you, you'd be able to pick up in a li- pick out in a lineup. But um... he has a very distinctive <laughs> voice that makes you frightened and want to run away. <laughs> you can hear it coming. Yeah, yeah you can. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So we we had him. So uh, what I'm ultimately getting here is that you have to sing a theme tune. <sighs> God, can I think about it? And sing it at the end. You can play us out, yes. Yes, okay, I'll That'll think about cool. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, let's do that. Okay. That's quite, it's that's a quite... teaser, a teaser <laughs> for the end. <laughs> you <go>. <laughs> You've got to sit through at least an hour of me blathering on about something you already know about to get to the end. Well, you say I already know about it, but I've purposefully... Now, this may seem like laziness, um, but I've purposefully not read anything about your run. All I know is the bits that I've heard about that you've talked about briefly... And partly because I went and I looked at the blog and saw you broke it down day by day. And each, each day is like about 9,000 words. Can I just say, right, that blog, <laughs> yeah. when I finish, because I write, I write my blogs in words so I don't lose them, is 36 pages long. <laughs> it forms the backbone of the book. Of a book. <laughs> and the is it the actual that, guide? Is it, is it a real-time guide? through? <laughs> yes. And the reason it's 36 pages long is because it was a basically my therapy i was gonna say was it therapy as well yes if that if that do you do all the voices yes if that if that blog was a person they would now be in rehab because they would not be able to deal with it if that word document like because i was like i need to get all of this out on paper and then it all sort of splurged out onto the blog but i'd like to think that it is helpful to people when it comes down to you know what you read people's blogs on mds and they're what like a thousand words of like how fucking brilliant they were and how they enjoyed their coca-cola and whatever but this is like no see the thing about this is there were times when i had proper meltdowns and i'm not i'm not scared to admit the meltdowns because that's part of it isn't it but yeah the blog is long if you're gonna read some people are like i'm saving it up to read i'm like what have you got a month of work <laughs> you're just gonna sit there <laughs> so you need you to not... serialize it you need to break it down it's, it's... yeah <laughs> 
It's like Game of Thrones. <laughs> All of the seasons of Game of Thrones. It's really long. People are binging your blog. Yes, it's very detailed. Oh, it's detailed. <laughs> it's always weird to know how much detail to go into. Like with, a, with something like an MDS blog, if you think about your audience, the only reason people are reading your MDS blog is not because they're interested in you. It's because they're doing the MDS and they actually want to find out what kit you've done or, or, or bits like that. They don't actually care about your feelings or anything else like that. Whereas I think it's a little bit different with yours. I don't think people well, really... That's the thing, right? Because I actually, after I, when I finished it, when I finally finished it, like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, the thing about this is I've not mentioned any of the kit. I've not tagged, like, any of the people whose kit I used. I've not, like, talked about packing. All I've talked about is how badly I packed and how the things I didn't pack. And I've not done it to monetize the blog and be, like, mentioned, um, you know, Ultimate Direction 800 times so I can get an affiliate link, like, because actually that's secondary like the point of the blogs is it was really hard mentally and physically and I think that it's important that people understand that but also in the, understand it was a recce so it's not about winning it because it's not a, it's not a race it really isn't a race um and, uh, it's <laughs> not you, a race you should have you made you made an error there you should have said it's a recce you should have said yeah whatever it was I won it I did. I was first female, myself. first female. I first... It when, I got, when I got the plane, I won it. But, um, That's, those are the best type of races. Exactly, the ones I choose, you know that. <laughs> but, but you know, I think it was more about, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people write blogs about races because they're paid to write a blog about a race or because they get free race places, whereas I'm more more about the fact that um, I don't, Rat Race don't give me free race places for these things. I do pay for them. I'm not employed by them. Um, and I think it's important to discuss the mental stuff as well as the physical stuff because there are times when you're sat in places like Mongolia or Namibia or Panama and you're like I should be the the happiest I've ever been but actually you've totally broken and you're like should I be behaving like this or like this you know is the crew gonna think I'm weak if I do this should I care what the crew think like it's a very strange scenario to be in when you don't have your phone to go I'll distract myself with Instagram or Facebook because you can't because there is no Instagram or Facebook It's, it's a really strange strange situation what? to be in there's no instagram or facebook okay so the what the desert doesn't have a wi-fi code rubbish and, and neither does the jungle <laughs> sahara net no it works in the, what's the desert in namibia i don't know any of the, the namibian it's the namib <laughs> oh, is it? yes well yes. that's a very sensibly named country then namib actually means vast place uh it's the oldest desert on earth fyi it's 50 million years how do they know that because Donald Trump said it was. <laughs> is, is he the authority on... De- is a desertologist? It's from the time of Jesus, which is 50 million years ago. <laughs> and he knows. Okay, so we're going to be talking about your races, which come as kind of like a package. Do they come as a package? They do, don't they? Like Namibia and Mapanama, you sort of, they've been squished together. I suppose... Right it- now- in and of well, themselves. Well, the reckies were the reckies were squished together. So, um, basically, as su- basically, some listeners will know that I went out and did Mongolia last year with Rat Race. And what they do is they send me out to test things to make sure that no one dies. Technically, my <laughs> life is not worth insuring. Um, so, there's going to be or three. They sent G Law out. We were hoping to kill him. It didn't. <laughs> um, so we went to mongolia and then they were like do you want to come to namibia and panama and i was like yeah that sounds like fun um and uh they put the recce's they squashed them together so just for 
basically for money's sake for ease of kind of getting them done so the plan was to go out to namibia and do this race to the wreck uh fly back via cape town and do this man versus table mountain thing yeah fly back to the uk for like six hours to change our kit which was in the back of jim's car and then fly to panama and do um a double traverse of panama so namibia was uh it's called race to the wreck the event will be race to the wreck and it is running uh, across the desert from east to west across the namib nuklaf park to the skeleton coast then um uh come back via cape town do the three hills in Cape Town, Signal Hill, Lion's Head, Table Mountain, fly to Heathrow, change kit, go to Panama. And the Panama coast to coast is what it says on the tin. It's uh, coast to coast. So five days, two days road running, 50k a day, three days full submersion in the jungle. Um, what we did, we did two events. Um, so we traversed the country in one day, Yeah, which was 72 kilometers running and kayaking a little bit then we went and did the actual coast to coast recce so the one day traverse is not something the public will do it was just something that jim wanted to do because no one's ever done it before he's tried twice i think and failed um and then uh, the coast to coast is what will go on sale which was the jungle part which right. was one of the most horrendous experiences of my life okay right so there's another little teaser there i like it i like it okay so this is all, so all these races are part of a like the new rat race what's it called bucket list race. yeah so rat race okay i love rat race when i first started working not i don't work with rat race they don't pay me to work with them but i um i met jim when i did mongo 100 because lee got me into come and do this event you're gonna have a great time everyone's gonna have a nice time i was like do you know what i think rat race are rubbish i think that they are um male orientated oh, yeah you said that they're salmon man they're salmon man they're tough mudder they're like look at my abs but i've not got a girlfriend and i've been <laughs> wanking myself to death for the last four years and i'm like nah, that's not for me man until i actually went to an event and i was like this is actually really nice it's like a lovely little community people are really kind to each other the cops are great the aid stations are great there's no support um and so i, I kind of got a little bit like sucked into the to the rap race way of life but i was still a bit like you don't really represent women in your um your videos and this that and the other and the, the good thing about jim is he listens to what you say especially when he's stuck in a girl in mongolia with you <laughs> oh, i see i see, <laughs> see, see a loads and you're like nip, 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 and he can't get away from you and another thing and another, one more thing before you skate <laughs> off um so rat race are actually brilliant so um and i think that rat race uh they're basically trying to um come away from the idea of uh, being a race company yeah. to the idea of being a um adventure company which is in my eyes a lot better like rat race don't necessarily celebrate the win if you win a rat race event you don't get a trophy you don't get uh people taking a photo you don't get any ask hellard last year ultra tour of aaron he won claire won that was it that's nice they came first they didn't necessarily win they didn't get a medal they didn't get a big prize they didn't get any money they didn't get any it was just like great you came first and on to the next one the celebration with rat race is completing the event yeah so i think they're gonna you know skew themselves more towards being a challenge than a race which i really like because i think that racing can really damage people's enthusiasm for running yeah so it's got these bucket list events i've got three at the moment um mongolia and then namibia race to the wreck and then panama coast to coast so uh in 
what was it like November last year I went out and did Namibia and Panama back to back which looking back on it was not Jim's greatest idea because um physically that's quite a lot to ask for somebody it's um what 150 kilometers running across the desert followed by 300 kilometers running across panama why did why why these particular places why 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 mongolia why namibia why panama right so jim loves a world first so all these places all these things we've done are world firsts so namibia loads of people can go and do that um, but this is this route is from east to west and it starts off at um, a, in a riverbed and the river it's the Kuseb River um, sounds nice doesn't it a it sounds bed. lovely cool and delicious it's not um, <laughs> and you get you get to run over the um, Nakluft National Park right so the Nakluft National Park is owned by the government rat race have had to go through like a million hoops to get on this they had to go and visit the government three times and so the only because we were test pilots we were the first people to run across this national park to run across it yeah um we've been out there and and in buggies and that sort of stuff but no one's ever run across it the route that we did um and it's epic because it is a national park it's got like like oryx zebra like dagoos all these animals snakes scorpions and they're just everywhere so you start running and you see sidewinder snakes like in front of you and you see a zebra crossing actual zebra crossing that's like zebra <laughs> I'm like, zebra crossing! Uh, we got the big three. Pelican crossing, zebra crossing, and then there was another crossing that I can't remember, but I'll remember it in a minute. Um, and uh, and so we had to get all these permissions to do it, yeah. and the fact you are running across this 50 million year old desert, that parts of it, no human's feet or hands have ever touched is mental. Like, it's such an amazing thing. And, and you know, I think Rat Race are... are you know they're making it accessible for people that want to do it um who are relatively normal people because it's all very achievable i mean we go out and do it and sometimes it doesn't work out the way we want it to so this event was supposed to be four days yeah um it turned into four and a half for us runners um but it means that other people can go out and do it so the gist of the the namibia race is it's run and bike <clears throat> run what? and bike so did you go on a bike? No. No. I didn't touch it. Um, <laughs> Do you even acknowledge it was there? I wasn't going to touch that. <laughs> um, so Jim and Danny from Rat Race, they uh, did the, the bike section. So what they did, we all started at the same place, right? Yeah. Jim and Danny rode bikes for two days across the sand. And they're fat tyre bikes, so they're supposed to be easy to ride. Right. But nothing is easy to ride in sand dunes that go upwards with thick sand. I said to, to Jim when he suggested this, I was like, I'm not getting on a bike. I can't, like, my brand, I can't do it. So I want to run. <laughs> Did you say that? I said, my brand, <laughs> I'm associated with bad boy running. I cannot be seen on one of your fat fuck bikes. It's very important that I'm not sitting on a bike. Um, I mean, I've got a multi-million pound empire and I don't want people thinking I'm a cheat. <laughs> and true. He, that is true. You don't, you don't true. ever want that. But he said to me, oh, I don't think it's runnable. You can't run it. And I'm like, okay, well, how about me and Darren run it? And uh, you you do the first two days on bikes. So basically what they did was they put Jim and Danny on bikes for the first two days. um, And then they took me and Darren uh, 100 kilometers in front of Jim and Danny. And we started running. So obviously because bikes are faster. 
Um, and actually, it turns out that running it is a lot more achievable and a lot easier than riding a bike for two days, as Jim will attest with his chafing. Like, you can do it, and, and the bike run um, event has now sold out. There was, a, I think there's about 20 spaces left on just the run event, but Jim had never considered it to be just a run event until oh, I said, really? let's go run it. Yeah. Um, he was like, no, it's bike run. I'm like, well, let's see if we can run it. And so now it is a run event, which is, so it's a, what, it's 100 and, it's 200 kilometers run um, over, I think they'll put it over five days now just to make it, so you've got a little bit more um, leeway. Yeah. Because you want to, you're doing 27, 28 miles a day, but, you know, you it gets really hot, man. Like, we were setting out some mornings at six o'clock in the morning and it was already 38 degrees at six in the morning thinking we were being clever and it's like (laughs) it's already boiling what is this desert all about (laughs) yeah it's funny that like how the sun bounces off the sand at your face at seven in the morning okay so over over five days then when if you do over days you're doing over four days what looking at the looking at the footage and everything it looked very sandy that sounds obviously did did it did the terrain change from day to day did it start off different or or was it literally just that type of sand every single no, day it's, it's different every day so uh first day you start off me and darren were like right i reckon we could do nine and a half minute miles for this brilliant lovely last bit of gravel but the gravel you start running on it and it's probably an inch if you if choose going to an inch uh, and then it gets a little bit tiring and it gets really hot and then you go into the red dunes um, on that on the first day. And at the end of the first day, we're like, yeah, we're quite knackered, but we've done 27 miles. And um, with this beautiful camping spot, um, like it's just mental. It's like being in the Lion King. Like you're on this camping spot that no other humans ever camped on, that no other humans ever touched. And you're, you, it's kind of mind blowing. Um, and then as you go on, you go through these salt plains, you go, um, it's a riverbed. It's an old riverbed. Yeah. And you go to a canyon and, um, and then you get to the dune dunes um and the june dunes are fucking insane they're the highest dunes in the world noted higher than your dunes jody um some of them are 350 meters up some of them take 40 minutes to get up and it's like going up a stairmaster backwards so the first two days i reckon pretty runnable if the weather's on your side it wasn't with us on the second day it was so hot and it was flat beds so it was like the heat just coming off the um off the sand that was a day that i nearly got killed by an ostrich but i didn't um and uh <laughs> well, well, God, i have to explain that what was it attacking you did it run past you no, what, I what thought does ostrich yeah i thought on. ostriches right were friendly guys and i've always imagined riding one with me with a feather hat on on the ostrich right so i'm running along on my own um and i can see the crest of this hill that goes into the riverbed and we promise that in the riverbed there's shade so i just want to get into it and uh Suddenly, I on my radio, I hear our, the guy, one of the guys that's looking after us being like, Ali, Ali, ostrich, ostrich. And I look behind me and there's ostriches running at 80 miles an hour behind me. And it's massive. Like, they are massive. They're like velociraptors. They're huge. And uh, I was like, oh, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Thanks for telling me, David Scott, you lovely man. And uh, it ran up the dune and just vanished. And then I turned around and there's the van's like coming towards me at like 50 miles an hour, like sand coming out of its wheels. I'm like, what, what's going on? Like, why are you coming towards me? And I sort of ran towards it and stopped. And they were like, Ali, we thought it was going to kill you. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? It was, a, it was a kind ostrich guy. And they were like, no, they're really, really protective of their nests. And if they think that you're coming near their eggs, they will come up to you, they'll headbutt you, and then they'll rip you with their claw, <laughs> like your stomach, <laughs> to your neck. 
and they'll leave you for dead. And I'm like, oh. And they're like, we were, they were like, we were going to run it over. Oh. And I was like, oh. If you were going to go, head butted by an ostrich is a pretty damn good way to go. <laughs> so no fielding, isn't it? It's a no fielding way. Hello, head butchers. <laughs> I can even see the grainy iPhone footage being showed on the BBC News. <laughs> I didn't know that they were vicious creatures. I thought they were friendly guys. Did that, did that ostrich just headbutt someone? Uh, yeah, and I'm sure he did. With his massive claw. Yeah, they're beasts. But Birds, anyway. You can't trust them. You can't was... trust especially ones that don't fly. No, they can't fly. They're all mouth, no trousers. But big claw. Big claw. All mouth, no trousers, big claw. Um... See, that was a fun, that was a fun day. But yeah, the first couple of days it was it was really really hard. Also, because in Namibia they don't really have markers, mile markers, or know where they're going. So they tell you it's a certain length that day, and then it ends up being like five or six miles longer, and it's it's Class- fucking horrible. Classic ultra, classic ultra. Classic ultra. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so how so how, how how did navigation work and everything then? Were you did you have like GPS or you know because I imagine when you get it's fine that but when you get to those massive dunes. It's not a case of being able to like navigate round them. You no, it was well, straight the first, over. The first two days was like, was wasn't so bad because it was really massive hills, but it was there was lots of they call them um, they call them um, uh, streets the streets between the dunes and these were all streets so it was pretty flat so the support vehicle would drive in front of us and we could see it if you could see the support vehicle it was cool you could cut corners you could go across what you thought was gravel but actually turned out to be like sinking sand. Um, also, the other thing is there's snake holes everywhere. And if you tread on a snake hole, a snake could jump out and bite your ankle. So you're constantly looking at the floor to make sure that you don't tread on a snake hole. Um, and so the first few days, not so bad. When you got into the dunes, you've got the, vehicle, the support vehicles that have to drive up the dunes and over them. So you don't follow the support vehicles. They're just trying to find the best line for them. Yeah. Because they're the 4x4s. You kind of just have to see them on the horizon and, and get to that horizon point. But... You know what it's like in the desert. Sometimes it can get a little bit wavy, and you're like, I don't know if that's something sparkling on the top of that car, or is that just me going? There's a sparkly unicorn on the top of that dune, and I feel epic because I've taken five codeine and nine caffeine bullets. I haven't had any water for four hours. So you have to like kind of. You don't want to follow the. If you follow the trail of the car, you're going to end up in really deep sand because it's already kind of dented the sand. Yeah, yeah. So it was a case of spotting the truck and then they were on the radio the whole time going follow the line to the truck and so it was up down so first two days it was very very mountainous but not juney the last three days that was june mageddon like june on mageddon. this on june mageddon on the, on the third fourth day it was just june's one of the days we did 19 junes and so like total ascent for the whole four and a half days was fourteen thousand feet like ascent not up and down and it was and some of them were just hilariously horrific like it's like going up a stairmaster backwards because it the whole thing just sinks away under your feet and you can't see the top and every photo i took every bit of video i took doesn't do justice to how horrific it was taking those tiny steps upwards and it's just yeah, June it's, it's is awful. It just it, from the videos that it just looked like there was a lot of June running. A oh lot, yes, a lot of yeah, you know, a lot of it was on sand. Which is when like people do MDS and stuff, they think oh you know running on all that sand. But actually, only apart from like June day. I mean, every day you're running on some <laughs> element of sand. But this seemed like it was a lot of sand. 
It is. It's the Namib Desert. It's it is it is sand and it is dunes and but when you get to the top of the dunes and you stand there and you look at all the dunes in front of you, you're just like I'm the only person to ever stood here. Like it's fifty million years old. It's mental. It's really mental. But you know, with the videos that everyone watches, of course it's going to look epic. Of course you're going to see like the massive dunes. Of course you're going to see the panoramas. There are bits of it in that video that you don't see, which is my ultra meltdown where I went absolutely berserk because my bag was the wrong car and uh, sat down and was like nine, 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 nine. Um, and there's bits you know which are really boring where you're you're going across these like two mile long dune streets the best bit is running down them like uh, you well know this journey from doing mds the best bits running down them getting up them's horrible they're the most passive aggressive monsters in the world because the run down you totally forget how horrible the run up is <laughs> or walk up is and so you end up just, they're like an abusive husband they're like punching you square in the face and then telling you they love you you, keep going, like, you forget it and you come back for more again and okay. again okay well that was fun I felt like king of the world for like one minute um, and it's knackering and then you get to the end of the day and you sit there and um, and you know with, with, the, with this event I sound like an advert I'm not advertising it I am advertising it but with, with, the, with the event I don't, I don't think anyone will have a problem with you advertising it well, it is. It is going to be amazing when it when the public do it. It's going to it's going to be so slick. It was very slick on the on the um, on the recce, to be honest. But you get back, you sit down. There's a chair for you. You sit down. They're setting up your tents. They've got a braai. They've turned it on. They've got all this delicious food cooking for See, you. That's what I wonder. I wondered whether on the recce they do all that for you, or whether on the recce it's you. Yeah, you know, they basically they throw a, a you know a bag of poles at you and go they set your tent up, set your thing up. Like, Namibia was beautiful. We got back. Chairs out for us, um, support vehicle there, cold beers in the back, cold cokes in the back. Sit there, take your shoes off, have a chat. The bride's on. Then they put loads of lovely food on the bride for you. Your tent set up. You get in, roll out your mat, go to bed at eight o'clock, wake up at five in the morning, same again. Like, see, I like that. That's what I just, yeah, That's what that's I like about multi days that are supported like that. It was so good. And Darren, who's my um, who describes himself as my ultra running husband, because we don't particularly like each other, we don't have sex, but we do lots of these things together. He um, he was like, he's he's done MDS, Jody, he's done it, oh, and he did he did say this is like physically the terrain is a lot harder, but because you have to carry your own kit because there's so much food available and because you're totally supported. So you get to the top of a hill and the support truck's there and it's got cold Cokes on it or a beer yeah. or whatever you want. That's amazing. Um, but he was like, physically, there's lots of, there's lots of bits of that video where he's laying on the floor for a reason. Like he's a very, very fit bloke. And, uh, and he was like, this is just too much because it, it was like the constant ups of the dunes. It was it was a nightmare. And then when you ran down them, it was like running down a bouncy castle onto a pavement, but you didn't know when the pavement was going to hit. So you're like, doink, doink, doink. And then you fall over because you hit hard sand. Okay, so what... So what? I'm going to ask you about kit and nutrition. But I'm going to ask, okay. it, in the, I'm going to ask it kit first. Okay. okay. What... I noticed the poles. How early did the poles come out? Right. So I'm not up to date on the last episodes but i was informed by my friend julius that there was a, a, some chat about poles if there is one piece of kit right one piece that you have to take on this on this adventure 
One piece you have to take <laughs> Namibia, one piece you have to take Panama, above everything else, it's poles. Because and I hate poles, I used to call them cheat sticks, as you well know. Yes. And uh, and people are like, you only take poles, I'm like, uh, whatever. Like I'll stick them in the bag. Without my poles, I would have been fucked. I wouldn't be able to do it. Like they were I, I, you know, gaiters, shoes, me, 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 me. But my poles, I couldn't have done it without them. And neither could Darren, and he's never used poles either. Um, oh, really? Man, oh, that's interesting. Like, he never, he didn't use them on MDS. And Pete, lovely Pete Reese, handsome Pete, was with us um, in Namibia filming. And he said that when he did MDS, he was one of four people that took poles. And everyone was like, you fucking cheat. Like, blah, blah, blah. but he was like, they saved me. And actually, I now understand. I call them glory poles now because. <laughs> <laughs> they're my glory poles because without them i would have i couldn't have got up those 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 jeans and you know it's getting like someone said to me that you would say about it's all about going downhill with poles but actually i found the pain in the ass going downhill yeah but, but in sand they would be is. yeah in sand it's like they're just the best thing ever it's like having four legs you're like a dog yeah um so yeah so kit wise my poles were the most important thing um and I took, I actually took two sets of poles. I took my black diamonds, but I couldn't get the baskets in time. So I used, um, what are yours, Judas? Raid lights. Carry more. Oh, carry, yeah, I carry more poles with baskets on. They're really, really good. I use them for the whole time. Um, and, and obviously, uh, gaiters are really important. And having I was going to say gaiters. What, what kind of gaiters did you wear for? So I wore raid light ones and everyone's like, don't wear raid light. They've got a zip at the back and they let sand in. But raid light have changed their gators now. So there's no zip. Oh, so they, really? they No, there's no zip. So Pete Reese was so angry when he saw my gators because he was wearing his MDS ones with a zip. And I was like, the new ones don't have a zip. So they just... God, it's only taken them like 20 years to change that design based on, on feedback. Well, they were amazing. And my feet were like beautiful unicorn's hooves the whole time. <laughs> I wore... I wore um, uh, in Genji liners, oh, like yeah. toe socky liners, then hilly socks over the top, and then my outras and the gaiters, and it was they were my feet were beautiful, and that's every day almost, I took my shoes off. Huh? Almost the exact sock combination that I wore. Well, it was, feet, that was the exact combination. Yeah. Weren't, weren't your feet all mash up? Uh, no, that was because no. The problem with my feet was that I didn't expect my feet to blow up as much as they did. And also, I was wearing the parachute gaiters, because you used to be able to get parachute gaiters, um, and my feet got really, really hot. So it was not, I'd never had any issue with um, blisters you know, from rubbing or anything else like that. My feet were perfect. It's just my toes got so hot in the, in the toe box, that's when the blisters came un- from underneath the, underneath the uh, toenails. Yeah. It was nothing to do with any, uh, any friction or anything. It was just, they kind of boiled. See? I was my my shoes were obviously a size bigger. My ultras were a size bigger, but also every day the minute I stopped, I took off my shoes and socks and I poured al- uh, rubbing alcohol on them. So it's like seventy percent rubbing alcohol, um, because they were sweaty and it and let them dry out. And then I rubbed all over them and Summer's silicon lube, so they were all lubed up and they were all <laughs> glorious. So once they were dry, I put that all over them to keep any moisture that was in them in them. And then I put on a pair of socks. And then sat there for like an hour um, and then took the socks off, took everything off and just walked around in my sandals and let them breathe. And they were glorious. My feet were absolutely glorious for the whole thing. No blisters, no rubbing, no nothing. And so, so how long were you, you kind of out each day running then? What was a, a normal length of time you were out? 
so we're up at 4.30, out by 5.30, 6 o'clock, and then we'd be running until it starts to get dark. So, because you can't run in the desert when it's dark. Yeah. It's just stupid. Um, so we would stop running at about 5, 6 o'clock. Um, so some days were longer than others. Like, uh, the plan was to do uh, 50 kilometers the first day, 50 kilometers the second day, 60 the third day, and then 40 the fourth day. Yeah. But because of the heat and because we didn't know what we were doing and because Jim and Danny were on bikes and we were running and because Pete needed to get his footage, so he had to catch up with us because he was with Danny and Jim for the first bit, it extended into four and a half days. Um, and the plan is... To, the plan was to have a party on the fourth day, so the, the last day at the Edward Berlin, which is the wreck on the um, Skeleton Coast. The plan was to have a bit of a party, but we had that party on day four, where we had Jägermeister and wine <laughs> in the middle of the desert. And it was beautiful. We had a fire. We were having a great time. Everyone's having a nice time. But then we had to get up at 5.30 to run 13 miles to the wreck of the Edward Berlin, which oh, is the end of the race. Your char- the charity day. The charity day. The charity day. Now, I, we woke up and it wasn't all sunny and glorious. It was grey and miserable. And I was like, don't want to do it anymore. And Darren had some sort of like epiphany and ran off ahead because obviously he wanted to win. Uh, sorry, Darren. And, uh, he's a man. Did he really? Yeah, he ran off and left me on my own. And I was like, I'm actually quite sad because it's coming to an end now, but it's okay. So I'm trotting through the dunes, trying to find my way, trying to follow tracks. Um, and uh, and that was a hard day, man, because you get you come off the dunes, you get down towards the coast, and you think that you can see the sea, but you can't. You, you basically start thinking that, that things are things that they're not. You do that a lot in the desert. And Jim didn't know this, but he'd wrecked the route a bit on his own but part of the route had become a sludgy about a mile and a half of it a sludgy estuary so whenever you put your feet in it it went up to your knees in silty flowing water and so you had to get across that um before you got to anywhere near the wreck and going across that was one of the hardest things i've ever done because every time you put your foot down it was like you're going backwards and you just wanted to finish. I was just exhausted. I'd had enough and I wanted to get to this goddamn wreck. And when I got to the end of that, I remember Jim radioing me and going, Ali, there's a, there's some water. It'll take you about 45 minutes to cross. And I looked at it and I was like, that'll ah, take me 20 minutes. It took me an hour and a half. Cause I'm like slodging away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I got to the end, um, up the, the support crew were there and I just did not want, I did not want to speak to them. And I was kind of being a bit weird and hallucinating a little bit. And I was hungry and I was sad because I was getting to the end. And uh, all I wanted to do was smoke a sports cigarette and sit on the floor. Classic. <laughs> classic. French. <laughs> I know, classic. So um, <clears throat> I did that. And then they were like, it's about two kilometres to go. And that run, that two kilometres, on my own, with no support vehicle, just seeing the wreck on, on the horizon was probably the loneliest, saddest, but most amazing thing I've ever done. Like the Skeleton Coast is the most bleak place on earth. Like I've been to some pretty bleak places: Mongolia, Dartmoor, Brixton. Um, <laughs> you know, I live in Shetland. You should bleak. get a job for the tourist office. I know, but <laughs> Skeleton the Coast, Skeleton the bleakest coast, man. It is why? Why is it? You just, I, I, this is a difficult one. But describe why it's so bleak. Why is it called the Skeleton Coast? Is that is that related to anything? I don't know a, anything about this. 
So the Skeleton Coast is on the west coast. It's the west coast of Namibia. Um, it years ago it was um, it was a port and ships used to come in, um, and a lot of ships ran aground there. And the most famous ship that's run aground there was Edward Boleyn, which I think was in about nine, the early 1900s. And ships would run aground and they would drop their cargo, wine bottles, whatever it was, and just be left there. And that was it. And they would rot. And as climate change has happened, seas pull backwards and everything's been revealed. So there's whale bones there, like these huge, the, these carcasses of whales that have been beached and just oh, left really? for years. There's old bottles. Also in the war, um, during the war, uh, the Germans had a hold on, um, I think, it's, is it Conception Bay? Yes, I think it's Conception Bay. And they built railways out there to mine. Um, and then the war ended and they, new win so they have stopped and so all these railway lines are like stuck there going nowhere and there's all these mines that are just open and all these, and it, it's and it, it's like a ghost town everyone's just left there's all this just stuff left there and it's insane to think it's been there for like hundreds of years and no one ever goes to see it and so and even sometimes when i was still in london i would sit and be like in a massive state of anxiety and sadness in London and think about Conception Bay and think about all the things that have just been sat there for hundreds of years, like rotting but being preserved. It's like the most bleak, lonely, amazing place on earth. And then you get to the wreck of the boat and the boat's fully intact. It's it's just, it's a skeleton of what it was, but it's, it's huge. And all these jackals and coyotes live in it. And they live off oh, the seals. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and they live off the seals that are just off the shore, and they bring the seals back. So the whole wreck is surrounded by the bone, jaw bones, tail bones, and bones of all of the seals that they eat. So it's the most weird, spooky, ghost-like, amazing place you've ever been to. So it's like a ship of death. It's a ship of death sat there in the I, sand i would never have expected like jackals because it because it's like close to the sea you'd expect it to be like filled with like birds or something like that the, the idea no. that it's filled with like the jackals jackals are, clever they, jackals are clever and they come off the dunes so we met a few jackals and they're really they're very cute they're like dogs with great big ears but they go and they eat seal pups and they um and you know on the drive back when we finished so we finished at the wreck and it was it was amazing and then we had to get in a car and drive for hours over the sand dunes back to um back to uh well basically where human people live um and that was a trauma in itself it took eight hours and uh it was driving four by fours across sand dunes which was not fun for anyone involved but you know we drove past a dead whale that had washed up like i've never seen a dead whale before have you ever seen a dead whale uh it's not no no i haven't no they're fucking massive and they think <laughs> <big. And> it's <laughs> been there for at least three weeks it's covered in seabirds oh, nice. we get went past another wreck and these jackals ran out of the wreck as the sea came in because this it, the tide was coming in and it's where they live but they're like oh shit tide's coming in so we need to get out like the things we saw were just so amazing and so mind-blowing when we live in a society where you think you can see everything on your iPad or on the internet, but yeah. seeing it in real life, like I thought that the dead whale was a boat. I thought it was an upturned boat. And then it's like, that is actually a dead humpback whale on, on the beach. And it's like, what? Like it's, it's things you never think you'll see. And you know, when you go and do a rat race event, it's not like you're going to see a dead whale, but it's like, <laughs> it's not, it's not in the itinerary. <laughs> no, but then, you know, one night when we were the first night we were camping, um, we were there with, um, one of the 
guides who was uh, who's worked out there for 25 years guiding people through the Namib um and we sat there and we could see something moving down the um dune and i was like what is that it looks like a dog and it was a brown mountain hyena and they are so rare that this guy that's been a guide for 25 years has only ever seen four in his entire life and it had come down to smell the cooking and i'm like to see a brown mountain hyena David Attenborough's not seen a brown mountain hyena. Like to see these owls, to find a yellow scorpion underneath your your bed and be like, well, lucky that didn't bite me. But it's a goddamn yellow scorpion. No one ever gets to see that. Like these are the things that make you go, this is amazing. And these are the things that make it not an MDS event. This is it's proper adventuring. It's proper like you don't know what's going to happen. You'll you'll be looked after, but you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I, the thing is it. it <sighs> different events have different things so sometimes the event uh, like a multi-day event like this is about like going in places you haven't been before and stuff like that whereas it's weird because like it the, the comparison of the mds is weird because even though you are in the desert with the mds it's not really about the desert i think what's well, something like the mds it's more about the tent and the tent mates that you have and getting through that together that's what when i think about the mds that's what i think about i think you know it's a really nice environment and stuff like that but essentially you're going through the same route that people have gone through before so many times it's not and you know you are you're you're in the sahara but you're not like massively adventuring like you say well no Um, like with with the namib you stand on those dunes and if people are interested and want to go and have a look at my blog there's pictures of me standing on those dunes with my poles in the air because there's not another human for 300 kilometers around me apart from the crew and we know that for a fact and that is insane to think there's no other human around you for 300 kilometers you don't get that in the sahara you don't get that anywhere else like so you get where you get that most places even even if you do things like um like the gobi and stuff like that there's still uh, you know they, they, like races like that it's still like you know well well catered for um yeah and so it's it, I it's just something like something like namibia is so untouched uh, yeah and, the, and the, the route that they've got the route they've got like i know there's other races in namib like wadi do one and i and i understand that but this is a route that no one's ever done before and this was a world first for us to do and even speaking to the guides i was like i don't actually believe this is a world first someone must have run this before and he's like no <laughs> no one's ever done this like this is no one would do this why would anybody do this like if someone tried to do it without support they would die and you know it was very very hot i know that darren struggled a lot on the second day um and i i struggled at points but mainly with my own like where's my bag (laughs) i want a caffeine bullet wrong bag like i'm being a little brat i'm being a little bitch basically and they're pete reese is annoying me he's filming me with a a bar in my mouth like you know but basically (laughs) was a goddamn spa day in comparison to panama like so, i i should have been like oh what a wonderful experience like anyone that does that race anyone that goes out and and does that bucket this race will have the best time it's so achievable and it's so beautiful and you'll be anyone will be lucky to do it i would literally pay to go and do it again because it is oh it's astonishing like just being able to stand like on the top of the world without there being a world around you you don't get that and, and you'll you'll never be able to get that unless you do something like this what's the what, how much, so it's, it's a five-day event now is it and when it when is it when is it when the people are going out for that 
I think it's five days now, but I'm not really sure. So it's November 2019. Um, so it's yeah, November this year, and there's there's no there's no run bike entries left. They've all gone. I like the fact that because you proved that it could be run. It's encro- It's actually reduced the amount of opportunities for people to bike. It's like you've, Agent yeah, Bailey, like, you have done your job. You have I, done your job. Like, you I salute run you. It. I was like, I'm not getting on one of your stupid bikes. I so, refuse. And now he's like, you can run it. So I think there's about 20 places left on the on the run one. But um, yeah, it's November 2019, and how much it is? How much does that? Cost? I don't how know how much, much it is. Do you I'm have sure to pay? Do you do you have to pay to get out there, or is that all included in price? I well, I had to pay for the whole shebang but um but yeah you have to pay you pay basically you pay your fee for rat race and then all the only thing you have to pay on top is your flights everything else is included so your food you your, your water like you have a crew with you the whole time um and yeah it's amazing it's where, like do, you, where, where do you fly to we flew to cape town and then we flew to windeck Windhoek, okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's what you. And then, that's and then you there's a drive. To. There's a drive to the first night's camp, which is a nice camp, a really nice camp. Um, and your camping is great because you're given tents and you have to carry that shit with you. So, um, oh, I like that. and I then, like that. and then the last night you go back to. I've got it written down, but I can't pronounce it. Swakmund. 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 Then you have a big old party when you get there. That's it, isn't that? That's. That's like the extreme sports capital of Africa or something. Well, it's it's very... It used to be... Because Germany have a big thing with yeah. them because of the war. So basically, it's very German themed. So when we went and had our um, our fun times party, uh, we went to a German bar. And um, i never forget making Pete Reese drink some lager out of a boot. And he had one sip. <laughs> <laughs> because he thought he was dying of a heart attack, which actually turned out he wasn't dying of a heart attack. He'd just been holding on to the support vehicle with his right arm. And, uh, oh, did, did you tell me about this story? I did tell you about that story. Oh, come on. You, t- repeat this story because this you is... You won't appreciate me no, telling the story. This is utterly, utterly brilliant. He won't appreciate me telling the story, but it is funny. It did happen. Okay, so we'll, we'll edit it out, maybe. On the Saturday night, uh, Jim Me, the head of Rat Race, is awoken by Pete Reese, uh, the head of filming, who's got huge pains in his arm. Um, I think his left arm or his right arm, one of the arms. He's been in contact with his wife, Claire, who is a uh, doctor. Um, and he has said he thinks he may be having a heart attack. And she said, you could be having a heart attack. Not you are, you could be having one so pete decides that he has to wake up jim and make jim take him to the nearest hospital we're in Swakabudumund, in the middle of south africa there's not a lot of a and e departments there in fact there's none so to get to the nearest hospital is a long cab ride and uh, we don't know what you're going to get so off they go into the night, two o'clock in the morning, bearing in mind the next day we have to get a flight really, really early. They spend all night in the hospital, um, even though I've already said to Pete, maybe it's because you were hanging on to the bar in the in the truck for the last four days. And maybe you should take some ibuprofen. I, he doesn't want to take ibuprofen. He won't do it. Oh, he doesn't, does he? he, does, he He's got a problem no. with ibuprofen. If you try to take ibuprofen take in front of you, he, 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 he damage your liver. It yeah. can give you liver disease. He's don't got, take it. He's got a thing about that, hasn't he? Yeah. So now... We're in A&E and it's two in the morning and he is going in and having all the scans and having all the tests. And um, four hours later, he returns and he's got some drugs that the hospital have given him because there's nothing wrong with him. He just <laughs> muscle from hanging on to the bar 
in the truck for the last four days, like I'd said he had, and they've given him some ibuprofen. <laughs> Everyone's been up all night. We've got a flight to catch. That must be that must be a difficult situation for him because he doesn't take ibuprofen, but he's been told by a medical professional to take ibuprofen. There's a difference between being told by Ali Bailey to take ibuprofen <laughs> and being told by a medical professional to take ibuprofen. Does he follow uh, the rules? He, well, he keeps saying to me, but there was this kid that took ibuprofen and died. Like, yeah, he was like 10 and took like 60 ibuprofen. So, like, ibuprofen's fine. And the fact that he was like, it really hurts. I'm like, are you sure it's not because you've been strap hanging for the whole time and it's on that side? But um, I love Pete Reese very, very much. And uh, and I don't want this to reflect badly on him. He's and also, a, that, he makes my trips more fun. That is a great Pete Reese story. That, you could sum up Pete Reese in that story so beautifully. And so, so, so what happened then? So the plan was then to go to... So after you'd done all that, plan to go to Cape Town and climb some mountains? Basically... We, so we get into this nice little hotel. We wash all of our kit in this really nice hotel in the showers. And it's disgusting. It's all covered in like sand and shit. Stuff it in a bag. Go and fly to Cape Town. And Jim's like, right, Ali, Darren, Pete had to go home. You two are running up these mountains. And I'm not big on mountains. And I didn't really want to. And I was very tired. Um, and <laughs> Oh, good reasons. Yeah. Man, didn't really want to. Good reasons. <laughs> Uh, man versus Table Mountain. So, what, what, so was, was this just in planning for another race to have in South Africa? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. On the way back, why not Man versus Table Mountain? So they're going to do a lot of Man versus different mountains. And um, Do you have a problem with that, Man versus? Mm, well, I have said it annoys me, but the fact that I'm doing so much for them and I'm in all their promo videos, I'm like, well, yeah, whatever. But I don't really know how to deal with that. Like, you can't... What, it's going to be person versus... like You, man. You know... It's like bad boy running. People are like, why isn't it or bad girl running? I'm like, it's just semiotics. Yeah, word. Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't really uh, cast stones there, should we? No, it doesn't really matter. Like, you can do whatever you want to do. But I'm like, all right then, man versus uh, table mountain. But you know, regular listeners will know that I'm not big on ridges or things that drop or high stuff where you can see the floor from high up. Um, so three, three hills, signal hill, lion's head, and then table mountain. Five and a half thousand foot of ascent. It's not massive. Um, but we were knackered because we landed in Cape Town. Flying's not great for recovery. And, you know, went out for some beers. Then the next morning, off we go. I hated every second of it, but I did do it. And I think anyone that is into their mountains will absolutely love it because it was beautiful. And you got to see the whole of Cape Town. You got to see, you know, um, I can't remember. What the, what's the island where Nelson Mandela was held? Robin Island. That's the one because you could see that from the top of Lion's Head really clearly, and it was really great. It was a beautiful day, and I found it very difficult because I'd obviously just run 150, 200 kilometres in a desert and was off a plane and up a mountain. Uh, got off. You'll say that's not the best preparation for that for that race. It's not the best prep. No. <laughs> and, then, and then you know, five beers and some nice red wine the night before. No. Um, <laughs> you bank bank method your way up there. <laughs> no, and then. Straight after, literally got off the mountain into a cab with Jim to Cape Town Airport, thinking I'll be able to have a shower. No shower, water shortage in Cape Town. So I'm in my kit and I'm about to get on a plane to Heathrow for 11 and a half hours. And I was like, are you fucking joking? Like, I need to have a shower. And I had a bit of a meltdown in the airport. 
Jim managed to squeeze me and Darren into the BA lounge. So I sort of crept about in the BA lounge, trying to be undercover, washing myself, and then drinking all the red wine. Fly back to Heathrow, six hours, straight to Jim's car, chuck out all of your Namibia kit, get all the Panama kit from his car into your bag. But the floor of the car park looked like a really shit running jumble sale because all our stuff was everywhere and I was too tired to understand what I was doing or comprehend what I was about to go and do. So I took all the wrong kit um, and pack it all in. Lovely job. Go and get on the next flight. We're going to Panama. That's what it was like. Wonderful. Yeah. And so... And so you imagine when you, by the time you arrive in Panama, you're quite tired. Yeah. So I can't really remember what happened because I was so knackered. But we arrive in Panama, again, scrooged up in seats for hours on the plane. Um, get there. Everything is late. Everything runs late. Yeah. So we end up getting in the dark. We get to this hotel, which is a hotel where um, in Panama where they trained all of the American dictators. Oh, and dictators from across the world. So it's like this big <laughs> oh, old... It's yeah, it's scary. Uh, and the next day, we were supposed to run across Panama, traverse the whole of Panama uh, via the Panama Canal, which Jim has tried to do twice but failed to do both times. Why did he fail to do it those two times? Because it's really hard to do. So he thought he'd just bring a load of other people along with him he'd to bring some more people to try and do it. <laughs> so, deal is get up at four o'clock in the morning again after three hours sleep um you run 10k you start at one side of panama you run 10k then you get to the panama canal you get in a kayak you kayak nine miles you get off the kayak straight into the jungle you run 13 miles and that's in inverted commas then you run another 30 (laughs) miles on the road so 30 miles to the jungle 30 miles on the road that doesn't sound very far no, it doesn't, does it? No, it doesn't. It sounds, it sounds eminently doable as well. I imagine that it did seem eminently just? doable when, when it was explained to you like that. Yeah, just remember what I'd done before. Um, so we do that. So it is fine. Uh, the kayak's nice. Quite enjoy the kayak. There are some crocodiles. They're thrashing about and having a nice time. Get into the jungle. It's like hell on goddamn earth. <laughs> like there, was no, there are no trails. There's a guy guiding us. He has no idea what he's doing. He has a he has a. He has a a machete and doesn't speak any English and I'm like cool I'm really hot and there's ants on me everywhere and everything is ants and I'm hungry and tired it's not 13 miles through the jungle it's 18 miles through the jungle which is quite a big difference it's very very hot everything you stand on breaks we were in the jungle for 11 hours so we'd run 10k we'd we'd kayak nine miles then we were 18 miles in the jungle by the time we got out it was starting to get dark support vehicle wasn't there because we'd taken so long so he'd gone to get a burger came back and then it was 13 miles along the road unlit my head torch went out all i had to light my way was my iphone torch and uh yeah but we did it and we got and we got to the end and we managed to, to traverse the country in one day that's a re- very long story which is written about in my blog uh, but it and, was horrendous and was it worth it yeah it was i've never ever felt pride like I felt when I finished that. I think mainly because James Appleton ran with me for the last 13 miles. Oh, the famous photographer. Yeah, photographer. <laughs> the, tubby, the tubby jogger, as we renamed him. But um, I've never felt pride like that because I was like, I can't believe I've just run across country in one day, even when, 
even though I've just done the stuff that I've already done. And it was a massive, massive achievement because I'd failed to do it before. So that was really great. But the thing is about that, the next day we had a flight and then we were doing it again. But this time it was way more serious, like way more serious. What I like is that, that Jim decides to just... The stuff that he just has to throw in there, I know what we'll do. We'll just throw in a traverse of a country just in between all of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then so it gets, there's a spanner in the works. It's like, okay, we'll just get over the spanner and have two hours sleep. And I'm like, ah, I can't do it. But I just, it is, it's great because you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. But you don't have a choice. You just have to keep going. No one's going to stop. No one's going to like come and get you. No one's going to, there's no support crew to like take you out. There's no option. So you just get on with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the thing. I, I suppose that's the thing with a lot of a lot of races now. Even you know things like MDS and stuff like that. There's there's always there's always a helicopter around that can extract you. You know you always fire a flare. There's always stuff like that. With these, it's just not gonna. Um, you're just not gonna. No. Get it? No. Are you? So. And that and that was the thing. Like so, the day after that, we got on a plane and we went, and it was jungle time, and we went. So with the jungle, with, with the coast to coast, is two days road running, 50 kilometres a day um, on the roads from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic coast. And then you get into the jungle. The first two days, not a problem. I was knackered, but I was doing six hours for 27 miles along these roads. And it was lovely. I was having a nice time. I had water. We had the support vehicle. It was fine. I was knackered, but I was, you know, having a, a really great time. Um we were staying in this place called the Cloud Lodge, which was the most beautiful place I've ever stayed. That right, sounds like it would be beautiful. Oh my god! It was the top of the eight eight thousand feet up, top of the jungle, hunt like hummingbirds. One of the best places to watch birds. It was so wonderful. But we all knew that this terrible thing was about to happen to us. Like I felt like I was in like saw or a film like saw. <laughs> the ominous, saw, like, the brooding ominous nature. Yeah, of and it. all of us knew, and and you know, practicing putting our hammocks up on like the nice bits of wood within the cloud lodge drinking a beer and um and then the day came where it was like we have to go now and that everything that's in your pack you have to carry and i'd never carried a pack that weighed 20 kilograms before apart from to walk to the tube station and that was quite a quite a heft for me oh really if you're not done you thought you hadn't done a a race before where you've had to nope 20 kilograms is a lot that is that is a lot yeah Um, And it's your hammock, it's your sleeping bag, it's all your food, it's everything that you need because there's no support in there at all for three days. But we took four and a half days worth of stuff just in case, which was lucky. And I remember putting it on my back and the two Panamanian guides laughed at me. They actually laughed at me because they were like, because I was swaying with it on. And they're like, right, I've got this for the next three days. I thought three days. And... um, it was uh, and yeah so we left that lodge that morning and off we went and it was horrific like it was the most horrific thing i've ever ever done but the most character building thing i've ever done it was beyond i can't really i still can't really explain it like the first day was hard with the packs all uphill everything's uphill but it was okay and then we set up in the daylight set our hammocks up in the daylight and of course you're like oh hammock there's going to be spiders and snakes and stuff but you really don't care because you're so tired you just want to get it up get in it um there were loads of things i did wrong like it's all written in my blog the the long story but it was okay and then the next morning you get up at five in the morning and you start to 
you're not running you're hiking up these hills it's twenty eight thousand feet of ascent in what turned out to be five and a half days which is everest from sea level not from base camp and um the food you've got is so minimal and the snacks you've got are so minimal and it's frightening and there's monsters everywhere there's spiders snakes stick insects things falling on you there's mud up to your knees you're tired you've got this massive pack on your back that you can't put down you know occasionally we'd have mules that that would take our stuff a little way up the hill um but after the second day second day we got lost and um we didn't know we were we've been going for like 13 hours and um we were all pretty much nearly crying and scared because we were like what what, where are we going to stop like I can't explain it to you, JD. I can't explain it to anyone. It's all I can explain it is like being at Glastonbury all the time, but with knee deep mud and your massive pack on your back, being really hungover. That's because <laughs> you're so hungry, you feel hungover. So, so you said that everyone was crying. So, what does that that include? Like Jim and, and Jim, everyone. We, so we call Jim the bulldozer because Jim goes at four four kilometers an hour and that's it. And he bulldozes and he does not stop. Yeah. Um, you know, there's me, my friend Darren, my my ultra husband Darren, Merlin Duff, big ups to Merlin. We love Merlin. Um, Rob from Rat Race uh, and Jim from Rat Race, and then Rick, our guide, and two Panamanian guys, and James Appleton, the tubby jogger, jogging next to us, being tubby um, with his little drone doing the, doing the filming. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of silence on those marches because it was so hard, and nobody yeah, could yeah. say how hard it was. But I would say and be like i need to sit down now and have a peanut because i'm tired <laughs> but bear in mind that everything you've got on your back is all you have for the whole time yeah everything um and it just got to the point where like looking at someone like darren or merlin who's they're blokes they're younger than me they're fit than me they take it really seriously and they were dying um, what was it so what was it was it like was it just the, the heat or the fatigue or or the lack of food or what, what? Every, it was basically like climbing upstairs two at a time all day every day in mud it was relentless <clears throat> upwards nightmareness like we had our poles but having that weight on your back and also going yeah. where's the next bit of water coming from you have to filter your water you have, so you have to stop filter the water ration your snacks you don't know when it's going to end you don't know how far you've gone you've got your gps but it's not right it like the whole thing was so unknown yeah and even when jim and rick our guy thought they knew they didn't know like they, they got it wrong so many times there were so many times that we went wrong and when you go wrong for two or three miles that's an oh hour. god yeah psychologically that must absolutely kill you yeah it's like where the fuck are we going to stop like where are we going to camp and you know then you get to camp and it's it's dark and you've got these two guys hacking their way through the jungle and they're like here you go here's your camp and you're like <laughs> there are ants spiders and snakes crawling all the way up that oh but god the time you don't, and then you have to set your hammock up then you have to sort yourself out Take you can't, but you can't take anything off because anything you take off is not going to dry. It's all wet and muddy. There's nothing yeah. dry to put on. There's. Oh, so you didn't do like wet kit, dry kit thing? Oh, I've got. I had wet kit, dry kit, but I had one bag of dry kit, and I wore the same outfit every single day because there's no point. Nothing dries. Right. It's ninety percent humidity. It was 
horrendous. One and you know the worst night. <coughs> Sorry, the worst night. <coughs> we um. Okay, so it was the third night, and we. The night before that, we'd stayed on someone's porch. We'd found like a little farmhouse. We stayed on their porch, and we'd just laid down on this. <laughs> Did porch. they know? Yeah, they let us. Okay. Um, but there was spiders the size of my hands crawling everywhere. Oh, but we were like, we don't give a shit. We have to go to sleep. Um, and we and that day we'd like walked and walked and walked. We'd gone the wrong way by two miles, which is two and a half hours out of our way. My, you know, my Strava now shows that my longest mile is an hour and twenty-two minutes to climb up this hill, like for a mile. That's how bad it was. I don't mean to and laugh at this. It sounds it's awful. So bad. Oh. Um, and then uh, we get to the top of this hill, and James Appleton is like, "All right, James, love you, James." It's like, "Oh, the money shot with the drone, like top of this hill, and the drones flying around." He's got it, and we're all standing there trying to look as epic as we can. And then, and then James is like, "That's it, I've got the money shot." And then we just hear, and the drone is in a tree. <laughs> and there's a lot of trees in the jungle loads of them quite a few actually and he didn't know which tree it was and that drone had all the footage of the <gasps> whole trip on it oh my so god james like grabbed a machete and one of our guides and ran down this hill macheteing through trees to try and find it it was like four o'clock at this point so it was getting dark so jim merlin and rob had gone down to try and find to get down basically because they were clever me and darren decided to try and help which we couldn't so lost half an hour uh and then we start going down this ascent and the ascent is a thousand foot steep and it is getting dark and then it got dark very very fast and then it was pitch black and so we were going down this ridiculous ascent a bit like going down snowden with your eyes shut it was like that like even with our head torches on it was like bats were flying at you moths are flying at you you can't really see anything it's slippery it's sharp and i was like this is this is it i'm like the most scared i've ever been in anything and it didn't stop and you don't know when it's going to stop you don't have any comms with anyone yeah and it was fucking horrible i fell over at that point and really badly cut my arm i was going to ask you you must have fallen over loads in that in that environment yeah i fell over really badly and cut my arm uh, and it really hurt and i was like if that would what cut my arm would have gone through my chest i'd be fucking dead because it was like a massive spike um but when we got to the bottom of the hill i was so fucked off i was like jim you can't do this like this is not safe but this is the thing it's a recce so he knows yeah. it's got to be a day longer we c- you can't camp in the dark and that was one of the nights when we camped in the dark and i was like i can't put up my fucking hammocks i'm too tired i'm too weak i've burnt a thousand i've burnt ten thousand calories i'm gonna eat 600 for my dinner um and none of us were talking to each other it was it was kind of funny but kind of awful at the same time. <laughs> i can even like, imagine it i can like lord of the flies yeah we may have then to feast like, on. We may have to feast on someone tonight. Who is the weakest? <laughs> yeah, I'm like Gilo's not here. What are we gonna do? <laughs> Who are we gonna eat? It's gonna be me, isn't it? Or you, Jim? Um, but uh, then they were like, "Oh, by the way, in the morning you got across this river on a zip line." And I'm oh like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, but what sort of zip line? They're like, "Oh, one that's been there for two hundred years." And I'm like, oh, "Fuck it now." So it just went on and on and on, and then 
you know, and, and the big thing about Panama was at the end of the Panama trip for any of you punters that are going to go out there, it, it is fun. You get, <laughs> you, get to, you get to spend a day on a desert island in the Caribbean. But Jim told me at that point that there was no day on the desert island in the Caribbean because we weren't going to make it out in time. And that was it for me. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> The thing that you've been looking for, the thing that's going to be the crowning glory of this. The you, only the thing only, I had. The only light in the darkness of this trip, and it's I've extinguished gone. it. It's gone. It's, it's over. The whole thing's over. So I was like, right. And I was trying not to throw like a princessy hissy fit, because obviously I don't want to be the princessy hissy fit person. But fuck me, did I throw a fucking hissy fit. <laughs> did you stamp your feet? I was like... I was livid, but I did the whole thing that I do with children where I'm like, I just go silent. I just go silent. Oh, the silent fury, the worst one. Yeah. You'll know. You'll know. You'll know I'm angry. But I'm silent. And <laughs> I'm they... crying. Tears are running down my face, but I'm not saying anything. Oh, that's the worst one. Yeah. That is yeah. the worst one. Yeah. But, so, um, so, so how many days were you, how many days were you out there? How many days were you, was this, this? It was supposed endeavor? to be two days road running three days jungle it turned into two days road running five run, days and the road running bit was all right oh it's glorious was it was good. hard because we'd already done namibia but yeah. for anyone going out there to do this it's lovely like lovely human beings wonderful like all the people from panama like waving at you and coming out and the dogs and the animals it's beautiful and it's wonderful and you have a great time um and then the jungle though is it, it's next level and i and i I think that it's an amazing challenge for anybody because it actually strips you back to your very bare core because there is no, there, you know, with MDS, with whatever it is that you go and do, you've got the opportunity to send a message. You've got the opportunity to say, I'm okay, or to at least have some contact with the people that, that your, your family yeah, that you love. There's no real danger. There's no real yeah. danger to, yeah. In there, the minute you're in there, from the minute you're in there, you can there's only one way out and that's on your feet or you have to you know basically call a helicopter uh, on your insurance on your massive insurance and get them to pull you out and that's going to take days so if anything happens to you in there you're fucked you really are and you need to have a team of people around you that want to look after you because if you don't if you have the wrong people in there there's every chance something very bad could happen so on the last day um we were all so desperate to get out and uh and i was like i i knew that the end was coming and i've done lots of like long stuff but nothing like that and uh, so i was marching on marching on i'm gonna get there one of the guys in the in the pack um rob who is the one of the rap race um events managers he's a lovely lovely bloke first time he's ever done anything like this oh, really? he'd really been suffering yeah really been suffering the whole time he was like tired and not not coping well with the heat and not coping well with the lack of food and we got we were about 800 meters from the end to the extraction point because we had to be extracted because we couldn't make it to the end um and did you know you were near the extraction point oh yeah we knew okay. we were near but we were 800 meters from it but we knew we were near but not how near and uh he he but we, we sat there me merlin darren and then Rob sat there. And we were like, "Where? Where's Rob?" Like we knew that he was near us, ish, but not how far away he was. It took it took us forty five minutes to 
call the guide because the guide was like a sweeper so he was he had rob with him yeah and the guide started shouting out to the other guide and then james ran up and got hold of rob and brought him down and i've never seen anyone look so ill in my life like he'd gone gray he was staggering his poles were bent and he'd not been great for the last three days and we'd been taking loads of stuff off his pack to help him um so we've been like distributing it between ourselves and he looked like he was dead he was shaking he was sweating he was saying he was cold and we had to pull him down this hill and put him into this river um because he was really badly dehydrating but i didn't know what's going on so jim and darren and merlin were and james were really looking after him because they knew what to do and i just stood there like a sack of shit because i didn't know what what to do i was like fuck this man's dying he's like shaking his lips have gone blue he's saying it's hot he's saying he can't feel his legs like we were taking a shirt they were taking a shirt off and putting water on him um and it was horrible and all i could do was filter water because i was like i just don't know <laughs> how to deal with this like if i could have done yeah. i would have got a netflix <laughs> oh, thanks. i'm like i don't know what to do i can't google um, any help here youtube's not no. going to help me and then that was when there was talk of like we need to call the helicopter in and i was like fuck and rob's telling us how much he loves his family and i'm like oh my god he's gonna die it's gonna be awful um and um yeah and after about 45 minutes to an hour we managed to get him to come around but he just totally shut down he just his body was done like he yeah. had enough and, and it was if it wasn't for the fact that everyone was working as a team if it wasn't for the fact that everyone gave a shit and we were looking after each other and as many like whiffles and squiffles and little snipey bits we'd had at each other which weren't a lot because i mean i'd had a few meltdowns but that was okay because the boys can deal with that um and i will have a meltdown whereas the whereas men don't men don't have meltdowns whereas i'll just be like i hate all of this ah! and i start smashing up the jungle with my pops or start crying because yeah. i'm stuck under a log or whatever but the boys don't do that they all keep it like hidden inside yeah um and and yeah so it took us like yeah it took, like i said it took us kind of 45 minutes to an hour to get him to come back round, and then we got him managed to push him up and get him over to the extraction point and put him in um the boat but that was really scary but i think that you know it sounds really dramatic but it's something that happened and the whole point of these rat race test pilot stuff is it's a stress test to see what will happen if that does happen we know what will happen what will happen is everybody i know what to do now when someone dehydrates and i've learned something really valuable um and everybody kind of you know came together even though we were all exhausted we'd taken rob's the, the the pack off rob's back we'd like really tried our best to look after him and and at the end of it it was like jesus christ like if he'd have been left on his own and we didn't have one of the guys sweeping, where the fuck would he be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not a race. None of this bucket list stuff is a race. It's, it's, you've got to stick together. No one's going to win. You've got to work as a team. And, and that was one of the things that I've taken away from it. Like human beings are meant to work together. We are not divisive creatures. We are divided by the society we live in. We are not, you know, we are born to work as a team. And, um, yeah, so that was it. Was quite a heartening. It's quite it's a terrible thing to happen, but it was. It made me really, really happy. And then a couple of weeks after we got back, I got an email. We all got an email from Rob, which made me cry because 
he talked about being a burden and he talked about how he wasn't fit enough and how he'd let the team down. And I was like, well, actually you haven't because you've taught the whole, you taught all of us what it is to be human and what it is to work together. And, you know, we all live in, in a world in the UK where we are divided and to be able to work together like that on a very basic level, even though all I did was filter some water to give to him and give him <laughs> bags of snacks. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going through your bags for snacks to see if there's any for me. <laughs> Thank you. I was already pillaging. But... I'm going through what you had to see what I could take. But, um, but yeah, it, it was amazing. It was just really, really freaking hard the jungle is hard it, it the thing is uh, one of the races that um that, like there's lots of different races that i think i want to do and there was one race that scared me more than anything else which i just think i'd, I'd never really psyched myself up to it and that was the that was the jungle ultra because i think it's just a different beast like the being in the jungle with that like humidity with that permanent like dampness the more you know all of that it being really you know unpleasant underfoot and just everything that goes with it like psychologically like psychologically physically the fact that you know i i don't know about you know, what i mean actually just give me an indication like what what did you actually eat then when you were doing it what was what was what was like a, a normal day's worth of food for you well i the thing i was most worried about was the bugs right yeah and it being damp uh and when we were packing our kit i was like we had to take the food so they give you rat race give you rations and it's wet pouches which is which are brilliant because dry food is crap like and it's very hard to boil water and then pull the water into yeah the packs so we have wet food that you just basically dumped into a boiling tub of water and it warmed up and you ate it out of the pouch yeah um so we had three of those a day so uh 15 of those and then the boys um took puddings as well whereas me and james appleton were like we don't need puddings so we just had a jar of nutella to share because we were like we're having a spoon of nutella pudding um so these wet pouches were really good i can't remember what the um make wayfarer they were called they're lovely and they're wet and you just put them in hot water boil them up eat them out of the bag but then your snacks, because I like to eat a lot of snacks and I like peanuts and I like baby bells and all that sort of stuff's not going to last in the jungle. So I ended up with, I took a lot of pulsing bars because they're yummy and they don't smoosh up. Um, I took a lot, I took a few caffeine bullets, but they all smooshed up. Hell hard, I need to sort that out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I was trying to take... But animals much, stayed like, away from you. Bugs didn't come anywhere near. Animals stayed yeah. well away. Yeah. I could poo, I could poo in our camps and animals would stay well away. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, with eating, it was really hard because you're burning 10,000 calories a day yeah. between 7 and 10, and then you're eating probably about 2,000. And you can't carry anything more than that because the water on your back, you've got to carry three litres of water. See, you've that's also the got thing. The, carrying the water, that is, that is hard. That is really hard. Well, I had this amazing little um, water filter thing where I could just dip it in to the water and it would filter it straight away so I could drink it straight away. Um, it was life. It was called Lifesaver or something like that. But um it was amazing um but we had this great big water filter too and then in the, obviously in the morning you know we want to drink coffee so we had jungle coffee so we basically just poured coffee grouts into this dirty water and just drank it because we didn't give a fuck we just wanted coffee <laughs> it was That's it was filtered it was like grouts in our mouth like because uh, we were just so desperate for coffee <laughs> like it's back to basics dude like 
proper stripped back to basics and also can i just say to everyone that i wore the same bra for like five days and it got when i went to take it off it it's not, you're auctioning it now skin. on the bbr bbr yeah, it. it was it was grown into my skin because my skin had been wet the whole time and i've still got marks on me where it where i had to peel the bra the sports bra off me it your panama tattoos <laughs> yeah um but it's not it's not an environment where if you think that like you've really got I thought about this trip a lot before I went and I was very very afraid but I know that I can do anything I put my mind to and I, and the things that I thought would frighten me the most the bugs the ants the spiders in my boots yeah. one night um, my hammock slipped because it was raining so hard and I ended up I woke up on the floor of the jungle with just my little thin hammock and my yeah. mosquito net on my face and there was something on my face and its legs were poking its wet their way through my net onto my face and i'm like it's either a spider or a stick insect and i could also hear something running around the camp that was not human because i had four legs and i'm pretty sure it was a pig or something but i did not give a fuck because <laughs> i was so tired and i'm like there's something on my face i'm on the floor I should get out and realign my hammock. I'm so tired that I can't be fucked. And those things don't matter to me anymore. Whereas when you live in a society like we do, if you were in your bed and a spider fell in your bed, you'd freak out and get the hoover out and start like hoovering the bed and like but it really does strip you back to like, I just need to go to sleep. Nothing's gonna kill me here. Like and if it does, whatever. I mean, that's that's the mark of a great a great adventure, the mark of a great rate. That something you should be doing something that tests you in ways that you you know you do expect, and tests you in ways that you don't expect. And there's a good possibility you're going to come out of it being stronger, or or, or not necessarily changed, but in some way in some way different. Like you've 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 built on something. You've been become a little bit more resilient or you've become a little bit more aware or you've realized you know that your your limitations aren't as um you, you don't have the limitations that you used to have. You can push but a bit bit further. Um, yeah, or maybe you've become a little bit more kind. Like there was there was you know parts of that where I love Darren and I don't know if Darren will listen to this, but if he did is Hi Darren. I love Darren but Darren is very very fit very very cool very very good looking ultra guy and he does ultras and he's ultra guy darren and i kept saying darren you need to look after your feet and he didn't look after his feet and it got to the point where i was doing his feet and merlin's feet like taping them up using all the stuff that i'd bought with me and i didn't i'm not bothered about that and i'm no fucking hero for doing it but the fact is they hadn't thought about that and i had and my feet were wonderful because Lee Stuart Evans had taught me how to look after my feet but it's about kindness and about and about sharing stuff and about you know what happened to Rob like we always wait for people we don't go on ahead we're not gonna try and beat people we're not mean to people like it doesn't matter who you are or what level of fitness you're at or we're all on this together and we're all trying to survive together and there's a huge part of that missing in today's society like we are all fucking against each other. You know, are you this? Are you that? Are you a vegan? Are you a vegetarian? Do you eat meat? Are you Brexit? Are you not Brexit? Are you poli- whatever it is? When you go and do something like this, all that is stripped away, and 
one of the things I enjoyed the most, although I don't think my family enjoyed it the most, was the fact that I had no contact with the outside world for seven days. I loved it. I like things. I yeah, that's a, one of the things I really love about that kind of thing. It is just having no no contact at all, like complete complete detox of it. You know, and it, it because you're forced to both interact with the people you're with. You're forced to live in you know live inside your your own head for a bit and be comfortable with 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 your own thoughts as as difficult or as easy that is that's one of the hardest things yeah i mean that, I, I can imagine that's the hardest thing i, I think well, when i think about some of the things i've done when i've been running alone for like long periods of time uh and you don't you know and I've, i don't really run with music so um or listen to annoying podcasts and so you know it's just you and your thoughts for 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 huge amounts of time and especially if you know when you're when you're fatigued and you're tired and you're doing stuff like that um the it's facing that stuff down as well. That's you know that's that's part of it, and that's not really nothing to do with the terrain. As the terrain and the situation around you has helped, but as it, has helped cause you know that that situation. But really, it's you're always just it's you against yourself. That well, that what one of the things I wrote about in the blog was the fact that you are on your own because obviously you've got your pals, but you're walking single file most of the time because you're on ridges and stuff. And one of the things you know was that I really did go. Oh God, I sound like a hippie, but I really did go very deep into my own psyche, and and I don't really like sitting with myself, and and none of us do. So that's why we use Facebook and Instagram yeah. and all the other things to distract ourselves. But when you don't have that distraction, you have to. You're like, okay, counting to ten's not worked. Okay, I'm doing this. Okay, I'm doing that. Okay, I'm hungry. Okay, and it's it's very 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 hard to actually go through sitting with yourself and and you can go to how, however much therapy you want to you can yeah. see you can listen to whatever mindful tapes you want to but actually sitting with yourself without your kid coming up to you or your wife or the thought you've got to pay a bill or that coming into your head when you're in the jungle you ain't got shit there's no distraction or the the only thing that you've got to do is survive and so you think about what you're doing a lot and so well, you know, when I came back, it took me maybe six or seven. You saw me when I came back at the yeah. party. I was just like, I don't want to talk about it to anybody because it was fucking horrendous. But now, I'm actually starting to see that it's made me into a person. It's made me into a better person in that I'm like a lot more patient and a lot more like, do you know what? Doesn't fucking matter. Didn't matter in that jungle. Those families that you met in that jungle, they're still living that life. Like all the things that we think are important are not as important as we think they are and there's a better way to live your life and just being kind and thinking about people and learning about stuff and admitting when you're wrong all that comes in into jungle stuff like admitting when you put your tarp up wrong and asking someone for help like of course i'm the only girl in the jungle so i'm the one that's like no no, no i've done it right but then darren comes along as i like, actually do it this angle and i'm like okay then like you learn something that's, yeah there's lots there's just so many lessons for me, isn't it? I suppose the thing is when we have a challenge that difficult and when you are forced to just look in, you, you've got no distraction you're forced to look just in front of you one foot after the other and constantly with that it's, it's like the ultimate mindfulness it's the ultimate being in the present there's no you just can't think of anything else no you can't and also you, you you are also like i'm in one of the most beautiful places on earth that no other person comes to the only people that come come here are 
the nomadic tribes that live here you know i gave those kids in the in the one of the villages a fruit pastel each and watching them eat a fruit pastel i was like fuck i've just introduced them to crack all they all they eat is bananas rice and that pig like god damn it what have i done and they were like their eyes were rolling in the back of their heads and i was like i need to leave now i'm like i felt like freaking some sort of I felt like Bez for the Happy Mondays. <laughs> like trotted Supplier. Off. It was my little bag of pastels. But it's like, it's so, so different and so basic. And, you know, even to sit here now in my little cottage in Shepton and think those people are still in their cottage, as they have been, or their, their shack, as they have been for generations, doing what they do so basically, it's really fucking humbling. And it, the worst thing is, it's like, it's not something makes me sound really middle class and like and 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 entitled but it's something that everyone should have the opportunity to try and go and have a look at because the lives we live are just insane and stressful and it really does ground you a little bit and make you just take a moment like you can listen to as much mindfulness as you want but when you actually go and see it it's like do you know what how much does this matter not a lot so when when this is put on as a, <laughs> this is what I love about this is that this is a, this is supposed to be an advert for the race. <laughs> but Hashtag not that. Yeah. <laughs> so when Hashtag hi, Jim. <laughs> so, so when when the race is put on, how, what what's, what's going to be the format of it then? It, and I take it it's going to be comp- it's going to be supported in it, you know that you're not going to have to carry all your stuff every day or, or will oh, it? No, 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 no. Okay, so. Um, Yes, it's going to go on. It's going on in 2020. Um, you can sign up for it now. Um, it is going to be longer. I think it's going to be two days running, five, four or five days jungle, and then two days on the uh, Island of Dreams, because we did get to the Island of Dreams oh, in did the you? dark. Oh. Yeah, and it was very amazing. And I was like, but it was a bit like, this is what you could have won. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> yoga studio, posh people, like free drinks, Club Tropicana, basically. Um so I think they're going to do a little bit longer, but they've they've worked out how they're going to do it. And but the thing is, anyone that's planning to do this, and I would literally say to anyone, as a life changing experience, this is the thing to do because they will look after you. You're not going to die. You'll be okay. But you cannot go into it being Salomon Man of I'm going to win this because there is no winner. It's a team event. It's about meeting people. It's about cutting yourself down to like, you know your bare bare self which is very hard for a lot of people and um it's about being a team player and it's about supporting people and that's something that's so lacking in society i keep saying it but it really is and doing something like this will make you go do you know what there's way more to life than my freaking paycheck and my bonus and my mortgage and and there really really is like when you come down to it of course none of us could live for free but you can go and do things that make you live better. And I've come back from this and it's taken me a long time, maybe like two months to process exactly what this trip has done to me. But it has made me realize I can be calm. I don't have to live in anxiety. I don't have to be afraid of people. And, and, you know, I'm not going to walk into a boardroom to pitch for some job and be like, yeah, but I ran across Panama, but I am going to be like, actually, if you are, admit when you're wrong if you help other people and if you learn from your mistakes you really can be glorious as a team and 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 i think 
that you know like i just said it's taken me a long time to realize that but that's what i'm taking away from this whole thing it was so brilliant that's a, i mean that's that's the sign of a great race the opportunity to uh, uh, to explore that and explore your relationships with other people i mean if you come it, coming away from because the thing is what you haven't talked about you haven't talked about how beautiful panama is or or yeah if you do think it's beautiful anything else like that you haven't really talked about like, you've really just talked about the relationships that you had and and, and what that made and, and and the meaning that you've got from from what happened to you and that that, that kind of is what what a great race should be about i i personally think those are the things that i find memorable um yeah but i don't think the word race is the right word to use well run run or whatever yeah i think i mean it's an event it's an experience and i think that it but it it gels you and it's a bit like i mean obviously i'm massive on trail running and 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 my big thing about trail running is a community that it that thrives within trail running and they're so the community is so supportive and you meet people you can go around and and be like i'm not fast enough i'm not good enough i'm not this i'm not that but you are a runner at the end of the day and and running is supposed to be a fun thing that you do to free your mind and also to get a little bit fit if you want to and maybe you want to be super fast maybe you want to be a David Hellard but maybe you just want to go out and you want to meet people have a nice time and see the world and I think seeing the world is like a huge huge thing that people don't generally appreciate and you can go on holiday and sit there and lay at an all-inclusive resort or you can go and you can actually see stuff that other people don't see panama is one of the most beautiful places on earth go and look at james appleton's um website look at his photos um he has some of the most amazing um experiences with the locals with the natives like he's he's such a great photographer he's such a great guy like he'll just he meets people and they just warm to him maybe because he's hot but but also a lot because of hotties weren't there on this trip it he's seems such a hottie such a little hottie and so did he get his drone back so the morning after drone gate yeah. oh my god so he stayed up there we got down to the bottom it was nine o'clock at night it was pitch black um he emerged at 10 o'clock drenched in sweat with one of the native the native guys covered in cuts he looked like something out of apocalypse now it was fucking terrifying and he's like <gasps> and i'm like ah, hello <laughs> he was like we haven't found it we're going back up tomorrow i woke up at five o'clock he'd already packed up his um hammock everything was packed up He'd run back up the hill that it had taken me an hour to come down. He ran back up it in 20 minutes and he spent four hours looking for the drone and he didn't find it. <gasps> didn't he? And, but the, one of the native guys is like, I'm going to go and find it. I'll, go, I'll find that drone. And also, I know it's in the top of a tree somewhere. So I know that in like 50 years, it will drop. Someone will find it and they'll find all the footage on it and be like, what the fuck were these people doing? <laughs> like, but, um, yeah, he never found it. Oh, and then he got in a kayak with his. Uh, he, well, we did the kayaking bit. Oh, the white water rafting bit, which I didn't do. I was like, I'm sitting in the dugout for this. He was like, Ali, you're in charge of my camera bag. It's a ten grand camera bag. And I was like, okay. And he's like, pass me my camera. And I'm like, do you not think maybe you shouldn't be in a raft? Passed him his camera. He's like, no, it's fine. Gave him his camera. The minute he starts recording, he goes over. Camera goes in the water. It's gone. <sighs> Oh yeah. my god! We have to fish it out with a net. Apparently, the camera survived. Oh. Um, I remember, but 
yeah, he's a he's a, he's a classic for losing stuff, James. But he's James is so extreme; he'll just do whatever he wants to do to get the shot, and then it all goes wrong. Whatever but... he does to get the shot, that's yeah, amazing. But one one of the things that I wrote about in my blog, James Appleton is one of the kindest, most amazing people I've ever met, and he's such a brilliant athlete. But at the same time, he's an amazing videographer, great photographer. And uh, on the last day, I remember I was really really hungry, and he. I was at the top of a hill and he was there, obviously not breaking a sweat. And I'm there like, I'm dying. And I was like, I'm really hungry. And he produced half a Snickers bar from the bottom of his bag. And he gave it to me. And it was the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. And I was like, and that's, he was like, go on. He was like, enjoy it. Have a little nibble. Have a little nibble. And I shared it with um, Merlin. And it was the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. And it's just another like human kindness thing. Like you've got stuff in your bag that you should be eating, but you've given it to me. And there's there is nothing sweeter than like a, a cheeky treat no. or something like that. That's just yeah. given to you by someone else. That you an know, unexpected treat. An unexpected treat that just appears out of nowhere, and they just like they know that you just it'll just tiny, tiny little thing like. Yeah, beautiful. I literally had a tiny nibble of it, and I was like, I love Snickers bars. <laughs> Can I eat one now? No. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck that shit. Yeah, but, that's it. It changes your perspective, doesn't it, on uh, yeah. on different food. Although, yeah. And um, asking for a friend, what were the vegan options like in uh, Panama? So, do you like eating leaves? <laughs> oh, yeah, of, of a kind. Okay. Um, ants vegan? <laughs> they might be vegan. Eating them isn't. Okay. You're going to be a bit stuck. I mean, we saw some bananas, but they weren't ripe. Um, yeah, it was like I'm vegetarian, so it was really fucking hard for me. And I and I ate as many of the vegetarian meals as I could. But can I just say something? When you're in that situation, you'll eat literally anything. Um, so. When you go on the event, you can uh, tell them that you are vegan or vegetarian. They will cater for you. Um, but I just ate whatever was put in front of me. <laughs> I would have fucking eaten anything. I was so hungry. And the worst thing is, you come back. When I got back, uh, my boyfriend uh, and his son were waiting for me at Heathrow uh, in a sort of Love Actually style way. But I, but I kind of came through like, arrivals like, with my head right down because I was covered in bites. I was grey. <laughs> And I was tiny. And Oscar, my uh, boyfriend's nine-year-old son, said to me, Ali, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I thought I would come back from the jungle like spa-like, like I'm so fit and hot. But actually, I was just really tiny. And then I continued to lose weight for two weeks afterwards. I lost like a stone and a half. Really? I was so small. Yeah, but it was horrible. Um, like... How it how is, did you how what, I don't even understand how you'd be able to lose that because you're carrying you're already but you're already tiny pack. already I don't how how did well, you no, lose I'm not that? that small I've got wow. some junk in my I had some junk in my trunk and uh and because I'm a, a slow ultra runner but the f- lack of food and then your body keeps burning afterwards yeah. because you're used to doing it and yeah I lost a lot of weight and uh which is great and everything except that you lose loads of muscle and then you are knackered all the time so it's not brilliant for keeping running but um yeah i never forget oscar looking at me and like recoiling in horror and being like ali what's wrong with you and i was like i'm tired and uh 
and then going to Costa and getting my first latte in like <laughs> two weeks, being like, what delicious a, milk. What an inauspicious ending to be out to end up in a Costa. Is yeah, that... I know when you get back to Heathrow, it is an inauspicious ending. You're oh, like, yeah, I suppose it is. It's oh, just generally. Here we oh. go. But, but yeah, but you. So that was. It, it, it has taken you like a a few good weeks hasn't it to take two months yeah to effectively come around to be able to process it and yeah. uh and, and talk about it yeah and every time i do talk about it i get ranty um until now like and when you said to me oh we're doing an interview and i was like who are we interviewing you're like you i was like okay i'm, I'm sort of ready to talk about it i now. thought yeah i thought you were gonna go no fucking way or something like that so no and it was it was and it you know, I'm. I've just had a massive like life change in that I've moved from London to the countryside, and I've quit my That's job. Like and going to Panama. It's like going. It's to like eating um, bugs and that kind of thing. Yeah. No, no, no internet connection and. Yeah, no internet connection. I've got dogs and stuff, but um, but so there's a lot of stuff that's been going on, but it has taken me a really long time to understand whether or not Panama damaged me. <laughs> And to be honest truth, damaged me yeah. or has made me a better person. And actually, I now know that it has made me a better person. I'm a lot more patient. I'm a lot more kind. I feel like I'm more kind. I feel like I will help people out a lot more. And and it was just one of those events that I'll never be able to repeat that again. And there's a lot of very exciting stuff coming up with Rat Race Bucket List. Really exciting stuff. Some stuff that is very top secret, but I'm like looking at it going, fuck me. Like the world firsts are just so exciting. And even, you know, I know that I've gone and done them, but Mongolia, Namibia, Panama, they're open for people to go and do. And there's going to, you know, if you, if, you, if you look at it, like because obviously we're a running podcast and we have a lot of ultra runners and people think it's normal. But, you know, only 1% of the population of the UK has ever run a marathon. So to think about the percentage of people that will ever go and do these events is a oh, yeah, yeah. pretty amazing thing. There'll and be we more, make more it people have normal. summited Everest than have done these events. That's the thing, you know, that's... Yeah. That's but, the... uh, but that's the thing, it's not normal. Uh, and we, and, you know, sometimes on this podcast, I think sometimes we say, we we can go, yeah, it's pretty normal to go and do that sort of thing. But it is not normal. It's... it's, it's and amazing extravagant ridiculous thing to do but it is open to people to go and do and you know money can't buy you happiness but money can buy you experiences and and i think that if you're going to invest in anything these are the sort of things and i've gone and done them so i know that they're safe i know that they're hard because they are fucking hard both of them hard panama is especially hard but if you want to go and really dig down to like the deepest darkest parts of yourself then go and do these bit these things because they're amazing and you come out of them in the end and you're okay and they're going to be different aren't they yeah it's going to be different from uh, like your recce group and then you know when there's more people doing it you can you're going to it's going to be a complete have a completely different complexion with uh you know with, with a lot more people doing it because you're yeah. going to have different groups and there's going to be a different dynamic and it's going to yeah change how how those races how those runs are in, yeah, but yeah. but ultimately you're in a team, but you're also on your own, and and you have to look after yourself first. And but you have to be prepared to help look after other people. And you know, I think there's a, a lot to be said for getting out of your comfort zone and actually and, and going and doing it by yourself and meeting these other people because 
you won't get dickheads on those on those races and i know that because every time anyone enters a bucket list event jim from rat race personally rings them and checks they're not a dickhead before he lets them sign up he does he's like do you expect to win this do you think that you're gonna you know like, the thing is you're saying you're saying all this you go yeah the, no no dickhead's gonna come along and try and win this and i keep thinking hellard is gonna think he can podium in one of these <laughs> I can see him. I can see his face at the uh, at Cov School. Can you with imagine his... the Daily Mail when he gets lost in the jungle? <laughs> I can see a picture of him with a with a what's it called a local tribe. Yeah, and they're all revering him. Yeah, revering him somehow. <laughs> he's... Somehow he's he's become, he's become some kind of like tribal leader, and he's wearing. I can even see him in the headdress and everything. <laughs> He won't be allowed to go on them, but but um, but yeah, Jim does ring every single person that um that enters them, and it's like right, you know, oh, this like isn't this. a race, right? I like this. Mar- I like this marketing style scarcity exclusivity element to it. I like that. Yeah, you're going to be personally yeah. vetted by the race director. So like, comp face twat biscuit. He's not allowed to. He's not allowed him. to. No, 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 no definitely not <laughs> Well, this or- has been. I'm just. I'm so pleased that you're able to talk about this now. Um. You sound like my therapist. No, do, no, I mean, like, I was wondering how long it was going to kind of take. Not, not because I wanted to rush the podcast out or anything about it, but it, but it's good that you've processed it in a way. Because like, like you said, when we first, um, I first broached the subject at the, at the Christmas party, um, I, I thought you were going to take my head off like a fucking honey badger or something. You know, that look in your eye, like, do not ask me about this. But it's pretty lucky that I was in that cage, so I couldn't actually take it twice. <laughs> yeah, it was. I do think it was weird how they put you in a cage for the Christmas party. You know? but <laughs> all the slobber in, coming out of my in, mouth. You were in quarantine for, for, you know, what's it called, two months afterwards. But yeah, yeah. Like, ah, no, no, no. But it's, but it's good because it seems like, you know, that... Uh, it, it, there, are, there, you know, there, there's some, there's, there's some kind of like meaning from it, and you know, and it sounds horrible, like you know, some of the, some of those things, especially when you don't know, especially when you're doing it for the first time, and just without the knowledge that you know the race director's done it before, the race director knows exactly what to do in that situation because you know that they, they're feeling their way around at that point as well. So yeah, I'd imagine it sounds frightening. It sounds frightening. It, it, it is, but do you know what? You come out of it, like, I'd never met Merlin before. I met him once, like, at the wall. Merlin is just such a wonderful man. Darren, I've known for ages, and and um, Rob and Jim from Rat Race, obviously, I knew, I knew before, but you come out of it, and, and you've got this shared experience, and, you know, I'm seeing Jim on Thursday. Like, I talk to Darren all the time. Me and Merlin have little fun meetups and they're people that I all know it's like and yes the people that all know for the rest yeah. of my life because we had this shared experience that no one else has ever had and people can go and do it and that's great but we had the shared experience and and I think there's a lot missing in in life now where you, where you know just because you're Facebook friends doesn't mean you're friends like you know you go and you do something like that and you're like you weren't yeah. there, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, different, uh, different level, yeah. isn't it? No, no, that's amazing. Well, it's amazing to hear that. And so. Um, if people want a much more detailed, intricate portrait of the... 36 pages of portrait. Then uh, that's, uh, that's the blog. What, what's your... Is it Ali, alibailey.co.uk? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's clever, I know, that, I know, I know. Exactly. It's clever. Like, you haven't come up with a, like, you know, an amusing other alter ego or something like that. All my socials are on there. My Insta. My... Uh, <laughs> don't do Twitter. My uh, face, book. I have got to complain about one aspect of your website, actually. 
Oh God, what's what's under that? the under the partners section? Mm-hmm. Let me just talk about rat race and white style running, and then bad boy running. Oh yeah, founded by David Hellard, super fast running prodigy, winner of Somaliland Marathon and Caffeine Bullet Pusher, and Jody Rainsford, super slow whinging ultra runner and cyclist hater. So what's the problem? <laughs> I don't know. You're a little bit enthusiastic about David there. Am I? Yeah. Oh, I thought you sound, I think that you, sound might a bit fa- you sound a bit fangirly there. I think that might. I think I might have to change that. Yeah, a bit fangirly. I think you're pretty accurate. Well, you call me an ultra runner. Just super, <laughs> sl- super slow whinging. But I haven't got ultra What's runner. going on with you, Jodie? So yeah. I don't know what's going on with your five k to couch. Oh, let's not talk about ultra. that. You weren't there, man. You weren't there. <laughs> Oh right, okay. Also, what are you wearing? It looks a bit like you're wearing one of your wives' like, you like leopard it? print H and M tops. It is leopard print. Do you not? Wait, wait, I don't know. What is the? What's the feeling? Yes, the feeling's bad. No, the feeling the is feeling, not bad. The feeling's like I want to wear that. It looks good. Yeah, exactly. Me. That's it. We've we um, as a family we have matching ones, <laughs> although different colours. Um, Frida and Frida and Libby have this in pink with um, uh, black. Uh, what are they called? Um, hey, listener, this is making great podcast This material. is great radio. You can't see any of this. I'm sure you have to do the audio description. Uh, Jody is wearing a, a black sweatshirt with a grey leopard print style. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I quite like one of those. You can have one. You can buy it anywhere. Cool. It's available, available to purchase. So thank you very much, Ali Bailey. Well, this has been a it's wonderful a bit, like a bit of a weird podcast. Uh, if, every podcast is, is a bit weird, to be honest. Okay, fair. Why? Why? Because you've been talking about yourself so much. Yes. Yes. Um, I haven't forgotten. You have to sing, sing us out now. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Oh, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Wait, wait. It's, I have to do that. David always does the exit bits. So I need to remember to do the exit bits. So listen. Hang on a minute. What? I need to. I need to. Th- but I actually, need to think of the tune. Oh, go on. So you, you, you think of the tune while I just say this. So, if you, um, if this is the first time you've listened, um, you've uh, this is a great one to listen to. Um, make sure that you go onto iTunes um, and subscribe. Also, if you uh, are a long-term listener and you want to help us, please uh, go to iTunes or any of the other platforms we're on. Uh, possibly give us a five-star review and leave an amusing comment. If you want to join the conversation, head to Facebook uh, and join the Facebook group. You just type in Bad Boy Running Podcast and answer three simple questions. Make them as funny as possible. Uh, you could do that. If you have any questions or suggestions uh letters at badboyrunning.com and if you want to buy any merchandise tough the shop's closed and i'm not going to send you anything ha 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 so thank you very much ali bailey i've got my song um well why don't you sing us out i will jody rainsford was reading from a script when he said the last thing that he did david hell up we don't know where he is Ali Bailey pops up occasionally because she's a female and that makes it a bit more level. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Yes, and give me one more try. Cause I love like this. Should I never ever die? Come back. Yeah. It's quite good, isn't it? That was really good. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I like that. Anyone would think I was marketing. I know, I know. Well, you should you should get rid of marketing. You should do a songwriter now. I know. Okay, I anyway, love you. Bye. See you later. Bye! Bye! Uh, f- fuck you, buddy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>